morning, church. Everybody's well this morning and wide awake here at this hour. Everybody's finished with their Christmas shopping. All that's wrapped up and good to go. Collective sigh, right? I thought y'all were all done because of the way Northside Drive and my blood pressure has looked over the last couple of days. I figured y'all were all out there and got it all finished, right? Whew, in a madhouse out there, but plenty of time left. Nobody likes getting everything done before the last minute. That's why the stores stay open for, for us to get that done, right? Well, I'm glad we're all here. I'm looking forward to this message. This is a, um, a summary of the fourth and final clear call of this series. And we've had four uh, different um, clear calls that we've gone through and gone over. And those clear calls have been to follow Jesus, the clear call to follow Jesus, clear call to grow in our identity in Jesus. That was the second clear call. The third was a clear call to the people of Jesus. And the fourth and final one, and that's the one we're doing today, is a clear call to the mission of Jesus. We heard messages over the, um, actually it's been about four weeks, Brandon preached the first one on this clear call, and then Jordan Thigpen, one of our other pastors, preached and then uh, had a little bit of a, a worship Sunday with a little bit more worship. And last week, Brandon uh, kind of brought that to an end when he talked about forgiveness. So we're going to hit some highlights of that and, uh, and then get to some that I really want to share um, as a culmination of all this. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Exodus. So right at the beginning of the Bible, you hit Genesis, the very next book is Exodus, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read these verses, verses 3 through 6 to begin with, and then I want you to flip all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation, and come back a couple of books to a tiny little book called 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you will kind of mark both of those, we're going to read first from Exodus chapter 19 beginning with verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verse, nine, verse 5 and then skip to verse 9. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, in verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's pray together. Our God, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful, God, for um, the anticipation we have of Christmas. As it is year after year, there's so much excitement that goes into it. And God, I think every year we talk about hustle and bustle and how we want to slow down and do less and all the things that come with this season. 
But God, I pray just for these next few moments. I pray, God, that we're able to pause. I pray that you speak through me and, and make my words uh, very clear. Just use me, God, as a, as a vessel to share what you've put on my heart today. So, God, meet us right here in this place. Open our hearts as you've already done through worship and singing and praying. And continue to do that, God, as we break open your word. Penetrate our hearts today, God. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, the other day I was leaving my counseling office, which is kind of on the west side of the city out in Myrtle Crossing, and I was headed towards the church, and as soon as I kind of did the U-turn there on Highway 80 to come back this way, this car comes by me, and you can tell it's a, a, a lady, and she's coming by, and she has her hazards on, or as some people say it incorrectly, there are four ways. I don't know who made that up. Somebody said that to me this week. I'd never heard that before. Anyway, she had her hazards on, and she was, she was coming by at a pretty good clip. She had a purpose. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, I hope everything's okay with this person. You know, maybe she's on her way to the hospital. Maybe there's a kid in there in distress. Maybe you know, she's pregnant. I don't know. So, something's going on with this lady. So I, I, I tried to just kind of keep an eye on her as she's going through traffic, and we get there in the main street at the end market, and and thought she might turn right to go towards the hospital, but she, she goes straight. So if she's going to the hospital, she's a terrible ambulance driver, and I'm glad she's not in that business, hopefully. So she keeps on going. Again, gets caught by a couple of lights, so I can kind of keep her in, in view, and I'm staying, staying a little bit back from her. So she's going in and out of traffic and, and kind of getting through lights pretty quick. So now we're right in there in front of the mall. I'm like, what is going on here? She gets all the way over, starts slowing down, and turns into Walmart. I'm like, who the heck would ever rush to get there, right? Maybe they're giving something away. I don't know. Maybe they're doing something crazy like a great idea to give away donuts the week of Christmas shopping at Krispy Kreme. Whatever. Who would have that idea, right? So anyway, she whips it in there. So I'm like, I, I got to see what's going on here. So I pull in there and follow her. She goes through, and I'm still stalking her right up through the front doors, and people are going across her hood, you know, and she's just busting through there. She turns left and pulls into a pickup parking place. And I'm thinking, really? You're freaking busting lights through Statesboro to get to your pickup time? And this brings about another thought. We, we've just kind of started doing this. And it's, it's like a Friday, Saturday ritual for us. We begin to make our order, right? And Sunday after church, we have lunch. And then we make our way over there to pick up our groceries. It's a great, great thing, right? But then I'm thinking, you know, convenience is one thing. But when we get to the place where we're thinking, man, I cannot believe they're taking so long getting my groceries for me. Because you know, you drive, if you don't use this, you order online, you drive up there and a little elf comes out with your stuff and puts it in your car. You, you really don't have to get out. And we get so impatient that now someone's shopping for us and I'm wondering, why is it taking so long to get my stuff here? I wish they could hurry up. I got places to be. Thank you for doing my shopping for me. That helped me out a lot too. 
We thought the microwave was one thing, right? We get popcorn in three and a half minutes. But now somebody's shopping for us just to take that load off because it's such a headache, right? And so I'm thinking about this convenience thing and how we want things so easy. And we, we like to have things conveniently given to us. And the easier it is, the better it is. The quicker it is, the better it is. I need something now. So Brandon taught us from Philippians chapter 3 that followers of Jesus aren't called to take the easy path. We are called to make new paths that lead others to life. We're called to take new ground. And then he talked to us about we spend the majority of our time trying to do two things. One of those things is to avoid adversity, discomfort, and suffering. We want to avoid doing that. And then the other thing we try to do is make our own paths to God. The things that we do, our behaviors, we want to work ourselves to God rather than doing it through faith. So Paul said, I fought the good fight. Paul did not say, well, this was a good fight and it was really easy. Thank you, God, for making my path so straight and making me not have to take a deep breath. And this race was so easy. He never said that. Because according to Paul, he says, I know him because he's given me right position with himself, the Father, through faith. Not through the things I've done, not through the things I've accomplished, just, just because I believe in him, because of a faith in him, he's given me position with him. So nothing I have done or nothing I will ever do will give me that position. That's that behavioral righteousness versus Positional righteousness. Behavioral righteousness is me just trying my best to do better, read my Bible more, be in church, do things, a checklist mentality. I cannot make a path to God on my own. It's only by faith that I have a position with God. So we prove how our behaviors can never give us position with God because of how often we mess it up. We so often just fall on our faces and, and continue to do things that are outside of what God wants for us. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in a, another place where um, sometimes you have to check your religion at the door, Chick-fil-A. And um, even though they're religious, and, uh, but sometimes it just it gets the best of you. So I'm in the drive-thru. My son Jordan's with me, and we go up there and we order, and we do, or we expect to do what is also in Scripture, and that is every other car goes in the drive-thru, right? It's in Second Hesitations 2. You can look it up. But that is Scripture, right? So I order, and then the car is supposed to go, and I go behind that car that's in the opposite lane. Well, as I'm about to make the little sharp turn to the left from the outside lane, I get a glimpse of this car that's about this far away from the one I'm supposed to be behind. Well, I take a little glance over at him, and all I see is, I was here first. It's my turn. Oh. So I begin to pray and fast before I got my food and thought, okay, God, no, I didn't talk to God at that point. I'll just be honest with you. I wanted to snatch him out of his car, right? Beat up him, his friends, everybody that was in the car. 
I'm not going to describe the car because you're probably here today, and that's okay. Just be thankful that it didn't happen. So at the same time this guy does this, Jordan notices and sees him say this, and he, he says to me, is that guy want to get ahead of you? Oh. So now I'm wondering, do I show my manhood or my integrity to my son, right? And I'm thinking, man, it would be a lot more fun to make this story better, wouldn't it? But I'd also be in the news, and it would probably be really ugly, you know. So I start to ease up, and, and he's going. He's, he's committed. He is committed to it. He's attached to this car, and he goes ahead of me. So now we're stuck in this line behind him. So, of course, I want to make it a point that I'm aware that what he did, so I'm going to get as close as I can to him, you know, just, just for giggles. And uh, so I'm just right on his, on his tail, and I'm thinking the whole time, God, man, justice. I need some justice here. What could possibly happen? So we get all the way around to the pickup. They hand him his food, and I'm still thinking, if I could just, I wish life was like a video game, right? I mean, I could just push him out into the parking lot, you know, and just hit reset and go back and do it again. But that wouldn't work. So they hand him his food, but then there's some transaction happening. They hand something back, and then they come and hand me my food, so I'm done, right? Now's my opportunity because there's that little three-foot gap between him and the dumpster, right, at Chick-fil-A. And I'm thinking, I can get through there. I don't care if I scrape both doors off my truck. I'm going through there, and I'm going to give him a look when I go by, right? I wanted to drop a grenade in the front seat of the car, but I didn't have one of those either. So I just drove by and threw a nugget at his wife. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So I kind of backed up, looked in the old uh, camera there. It's the only time you should use a backup camera to know how far you got, right? So I backed up. I said, I think I can get out of here. Jordan goes, you going to go around him? I said, oh, I'm going around him just for the sake of it, you know, because I really wanted them to make him pull up in, you know, in the, um, with that kiss of death lane or whatever it is up there, the, the walk of shame when you have to pull up there and wait on your food and somebody has to walk it out to you. But they didn't do that. So I just get up there and just ease around, just goose it by him. I don't know what happened in the, in the wake of it, but it just kind of felt good, Right. Like, that's justice. I got my food before you. Man, 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 man. Stuck my tongue out at him and said a prayer and, and went on my way. But I was thinking about that and thinking, oh my gosh, that is the story of our lives of how we constantly go back and forth into this world and we get pulled in and we mess up. And it proves I cannot do this on my own. I cannot um, always have control of myself and, and pray that God you know, it helps me. It's kind of a funny story and, and exaggerated. And, you know, I wasn't going to beat him up or anything. It would have been funnier. But I, I just keep reminding myself of how much our faith sometimes is just up here. It's in our minds. And that we have to constantly, constantly be transformed. That it's all up in our heads. But we want to know him to the deepest and most personal way that we can. And that's what Brandon reminded us of. He said, I want to walk like he walked. And he gave us three points of how we walk with Christ. He says, I want to walk in his power. And then he taught us that he want, we want to walk in his presence because Jesus lives with us through the Holy Spirit here on earth. We can walk in his presence. And then finally he said, I want to walk in his purpose. I want to walk in his purpose. The things that he has for me, I want to do that. 
Brandon told us that Paul didn't just suffer because this fallen world, everyone does that. A fallen world is there, and there are people in need, and, and we all do those things. And sometimes we even enjoy them. But anybody can buy Christmas gifts for needy kids and families. Anybody can feed people. Anybody can build handicap ramps. Anybody can roof a house. Well, not anybody, but you know what I mean. But with a bad attitude sometimes is what we get caught up into. These things are just on our list, and they can be a burden. I want you to remember that word. They can be a burden when we don't do things the way God has called us to do. We're just doing things. Oh man, I gotta buy this gift, and I gotta, I gotta make the stuffing, I gotta thaw the turkey, I gotta do this, I gotta, oh yeah, and I gotta buy gifts for those kids at church. And it's just something on our list. It becomes this burden. Those things are only meeting the physical and emotional needs sometimes of people. They're not stepping in there and taking the next step because I've met this need, because I've helped you to, to see things more clearly, because I've met this physical need. Now I can talk to you about Jesus. It sets up such a great stage to be able to do that. But so many times we leave that off because we've entered the entire process with a really, really sucky attitude. So Paul suffered for the name of Jesus. And the question I want to ask all of us, do we truly do these things in the name of Jesus? Or do we do them in our own name to make us feel better? You cannot separate Jesus from his mission. So Jesus suffered. He was afflicted to reconcile the world to himself, back to God, and so should we. Then Brandon reminded us of the calling of Elisha. It's a great story when Elijah goes to Elisha's farm and he takes a cloak and he puts it on Elisha's back. And this is a symbol of the calling of Elisha to God to come and serve. But Elisha, as they're walking away, he says, I have to go back. And he goes back to where he was plowing with 12 oxen. And he kills all 12 oxen. And he feeds the entire village with the meat of these oxen. He takes the plow and he throws it on an altar and he burns it. And it signifies and it represents Elisha saying, I'm going to give everything I have up in order to serve God. And Brandon challenged us and asked, what is, where is the, the plow that we need to, to commit to God and say, I don't need this anymore. I want to serve you with everything I have. What keeps us from from being fully committed follower of Christ and sharing what he has for us to others. Then Jordan Thigpen, a couple of weeks ago, continued teaching on Jesus' mission by looking at the calling and the refining of the disciples. He said that there is freedom from condemnation in Christ, but also freedom for conviction. We're all called to, to Christ with no more condemnation, but we grow and mature through that big word called sanctification or that pruning that, that God continues to work in us. As long as we are in his word and we're following Christ, he constantly has us on a potter's wheel. If we are the clay and we're on that wheel, the potter is taking his or her hands and getting water and splashing on that clay as it's spinning and forming it into whatever he or she wants it to be. 
And that's how God works on us, constantly, constantly sanctifying, constantly pruning, constantly shaping us into what he wants us to be. Jordan defined missions as Christians engaging in intentional evangelism and discipleship with people that do not know Jesus. In other words, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we should have the desire to share it, not hold on to it, not take a gift like we would get at Christmas and go, I'm not going to share this with anybody. But taking this gift, this gift of, of God's grace and going, I can't help but share it with everybody because of what it's done for me. Last week, Brandon taught us that forgiveness is essential to the mission of Jesus because relationship is essential to the mission. This was by God's design. And then it was terribly distorted by Satan. He talked to us about four different relationships and kind of the order they, they came to pass for, through God's creation. The first relationship is the Trinity. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The second relationship he shared with us was us and God. They created man and woman. We were then in relationship with him. The third relationship was how we, how we relate to ourselves. As we get to know ourselves, as you get to know you, and I get to know myself, we are in relationship with ourselves when we're learning this relationship with God. And then the fourth relationship is us and others. As believers, that's believers with unbelievers. How we're sharing our faith, that relationship we have. So forgiveness is all about freedom, though. Forgiveness frees us to do what God has called us to do. And there's something about forgiveness that um, I think many people get hung up on. And I think some church people are the worst at it. Because we've taken these bits and pieces of what we've learned about forgiveness and kind of read the scripture and brush across it where it says God forgives as far as the east is to the west. And we put that same pressure on ourselves that, oh, if I forgive this person, I have to forgive and forget it. Well, I can forget my keys and my wallet, but I cannot forget you hurt me. That's difficult to do. But Brandon said something that I thought was, was so, so spot on. He said to forget is choosing not to act on the offense anymore. It's not being historical in a relationship and bringing something up if we've truly forgiven. Because the act of forgiveness is not about reconciliation to begin with. Reconciliation is the responsibility of the one who hurt you. Forgiveness is your responsibility to take your hands from around the neck of that individual. You figuratively are holding that person by the neck, exerting all the energy. They may be sleeping just fine. But you're holding that person around the neck. And forgiveness is just allowing yourself to release your muscles, let go of that, and move forward. That doesn't mean it was okay. That doesn't mean you condone the behavior. But you are not going to act on the offense anymore. Because acting on the, fence can, on, on the offense can be just as much about bitterness and resentment. You're exerting all the energy. It's eating you up inside. So that, that took care of those, those messages, those three messages that were about this. But through all that we've learned through these three messages, we know that Jesus' mission is about relationships and reconciliation. Relationships and reconciliation. But we've also learned over this entire series that the Big C Church has developed a bad habit of allowing the staff, 
the professional Christian, the clergy, the ones who wear robes to carry the load from hundreds of years ago when this started. To allow, to, to, to even elevate a minister, elevate a priest to a place that says, well, why don't you help me in my relationship with God? Why don't you stand in between me and God? And we put a pressure on, on clergy and staff that, that, that's not even part of Scripture. It's completely opposite of Scripture. But Scripture is clear that was not and is not God's plan for us. Remember back in Exodus 19, God was calling a people to be for him a kingdom of priests. He was not calling a special group who alone would have the responsibility. And again, we see it in 1 Peter chapter 2. We read verse 5 and 9. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But why? Why? What is the purpose of their call? These people that he's talking to, what's the purpose? Well, God makes it abundantly clear in the end of chapter or end of verse 9 when he says to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light that's the purpose to declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light you are to be a royal priesthood for what purpose why am i a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ in verse 5 so those are the pur purposes. That's why we're called. So i got two questions I want to ask you. Two questions I think we must ask. One, who is the personal pronoun you, Y-O-U, referring to? Us, right? One of you is listening, so that's good. All of us, right? We are the priesthood. That's the you. That's the pronoun. That's who he's talking to. You are a chosen nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's possession. We see it in the address line from 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, To the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It was not written to the bishops and the clergy. It was written to the scattered Christians. If I wrote a letter addressed to the scattered Christians of Statesboro, Georgia. I said, you've been called to be ministers of God. Fulfill your ministry. Would that be directed toward the clergy of Statesboro? You can answer out loud again. No, it would not be directed towards them. It would be primarily to lay people. The people of God. You are the ministers. The second question is this. If the layperson is the minister, what does it mean to offer spiritual sacrifices? What is this sacrifice thing about? It's kind of scary when we talk about sacrifices, right? 
In the Old Testament, it was clear that the priest was to serve as a mediator to bring man and God closer together. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies. You may recall what, what this was. This was a, um, a very holy place. That's why they call it the Holy of Holies. You can't get any more holy than that, right? So the priest that went in there had to make sure there was no uncleanness in his life. And that was all the rules, all the laws that they had to follow. Because if there was any part of him unclean and he walked into the Holy, holy, holy of Holies, he would what? He would die. Just poof, drop dead right there. That's some pressure, right? If you're thinking about walking into the Holy of Holies the, the way we are today, it's like, oh, God, I forgot. One more thing, God. Um, you know, when I was in Chick-fil-A line the other day and the things I was thinking, all right, I got it. Whoa, whoa, I was, you know, how hard would that be? It's also the place that the veil of the temple, when you hear about that, the veil that was ripped when Jesus was on the cross, this is where that took place. So the priest that went into the Holy of Holies would make sacrifices on the people's behalf. And those sacrifices were in order to confess sin, to forgive sin, and ultimately bring people closer to God and bring them together. So they want to seek forgiveness and do all those things. So ultimately, the purpose of sacrifices was reconciliation. It was reconciliation. So now we are called as priests, and as priests, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean, and how do we do it? Because it, it kind of gets into some weird stuff if we're thinking, all right, these sacrifices, am I supposed to get me a goat, you know, and do that, or a white dove? Because I think you can go to jail for doing stuff like that today, right? So it's not quite the same type of sacrifices, so in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as the great high priest. He's the great high priest. He, too, seeks to bring man and God together. So that's, that's Jesus' goal when he walks on this earth. And just like the priest of the Old Testament, he goes into the Holy of Holies and makes sacrifices. He doesn't literally go in. He actually busted the gates open of it and ripped the, the, the whole thing apart when he was on the cross. But he makes sacrifices. He does the same thing. But what is the sacrifice that Jesus makes? Anyone? Himself. Absolutely. He offers himself. He gives his own life as the sacrifice. So God's story is about reconciliation in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along. His story is about reconciliation through himself. And now how does God continue to redeem the world because it's passed on to us. What is the sacrifice that the Christian as a priest is to offer to God on behalf of a sinful world? What is the sacrifice? What do we offer? Is it a goat or a dove? Maybe a small child that you're not fond of yet? What is the sacrifice that we give? Louder? Ourselves. Ourselves. What up? Now, that's even scarier. Kind of want to do the small child thing. I don't really want to do myself. What does this mean? How do I do this? This is exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
So there's a major difference in the priesthood of the Old Testament and the priesthood of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the priest offered the sacrifice. In the New Testament, the priest is the sacrifice. I was kind of excited about that. That was kind of a the big moment for me. I was excited. I hope you're excited about that too because we become the sacrifice. But what does it look like? How do we do that? We all must offer ourselves to the world that God is seeking to redeem. He's placed all of us in hundreds of different places to redeem himself to the world. This was God's plan from the beginning. Here's the most convicting and liberating part for me. It is not a burden. It is not a burden. I you to hear me. It's not something else that we do. It's not a checklist mentality. It's not something we just add to our to-do list. It's who we are because we believe in God. It's what it means to believe in God. To believe in God means to be so caught up and who God is, and with what God is doing that we want and have to be a part of it. If we believe the same things God believes, we're drawn to that and want to be in the middle of that. It takes our old personal selfish priorities out the window and says, focus on this. This is where I need you to be, and this is what I need you to do. Because it lines up with what God is doing. It's what makes life exciting and thrilling and full of meaning to be ministers, laborers with God. So losing one's life, as Jesus said, or offering spiritual sacrifices, according to 1 Peter, is the way to find life and find it full and and abundant. So there's practical things about this. And there are practical ways that, that we carry this out and And what would this practically look like? And that's many different things, but many of us fall into the trap when we hear this type of message. And as much as I'm talking to you about it not being a checklist, you still want to go there because it's easier. Okay, they need some more helping kids, so I better help. I need an orange shirt. It would be cool to have orange. I don't have an orange shirt yet. I guess I'll work in the parking lot, but maybe can I wait till March or April because it's freezing out there now. We have this attitude that, that this service and this, this work and this being a living sacrifice is only affiliated with church. And I think that's the farthest thing from what God is telling us in Scripture. I honestly don't know that it has anything to do with church. To be a living sacrifice is a daily thing where God has placed us wherever we are in our school, in our home, in restaurants, in in workplaces. All of those places is where this is supposed to carry out. Not just at church. Because again, that's the easy thing to do. I can come here and serve and see you next week or in three weeks if I serve once a month. That's a trap that we tell ourselves and we fall into. Because I believe wholeheartedly that we're called to be in relationship with people. And many times that means we are called to be present with people during the worst times. 
And I think what that carries out to mean is something I'm extremely excited about is, is, is one of the things that we're doing as a church. And realizing as we grow, you know, there's 17 staff members at Connection Church. 17, part-time, full-time, majority full-time. And there's an expectation that even with 17, we should respond and be at everything that everyone expects us to be at because we're professional Christians, right? It's not in here. It's not in the text. And that's overwhelming. We try, but it's very difficult to do that. And we've discovered that because there are some really, really bad things that happen in our community. And not just in our church, but in our entire community. And what we're working on right now is a more of a care and response type of team that, that gathers together, that does some training, and responds to people in their greatest needs. And helps them walk through things. And even maybe uh, ends up helping refer them to other help and other resources that may be outside of their boundaries. I'm excited about this, but it, it comes about, though, because I think that, that people are, are just tired of hearing words. They're tired of hearing words. I mean, let's face it. People are tired of the phrase, thoughts and prayers. You know what I mean? Hear something, we're talking to somebody, thoughts and prayers are with you. Thoughts and prayers. I'm thinking about you. I'm going to pray for you. Thoughts and prayers. You can even say many of our country are expressing thoughts and prayers fatigue. After the school shooting in Parkland, Florida in February of 2018, students began screaming enough with the thoughts and prayers. We want to do something different. After the, school shoot, or after the shooting in the bar in Thousand Oaks, California, in November of 2018, a mother of one of the victims passionately pleaded, my son was in Las Vegas, and he came home from that. But after this, he never came home. He didn't come home last night. I don't want thoughts, and I hope to God nobody sends me any more prayers. So why are people exhausted and even aggravated by this phrase? Is it because they're all a bunch of non-believers that reject positive thoughts and the power of prayer? I don't think so. It may be that offering thoughts and prayers is quite literally the least we can do. I can think about you and I can pray for you anytime I want to. But that's the least I can do for you. I think instead of words, people in crisis yearn for intentional, organized, and meaningful support. It's something I like to refer to when we talk about lay ministers and the people of God moving towards something is coming out of the pew and into the pain. For us, it's kind of out of the padded seat and into the pain. But you know what I mean. It has a little different ring for out of the pew and into the pain, doesn't it? That means us getting up out of our seats and walking towards something that may not be so comfortable. 
at being trained to be comfortable in the most uncomfortable times that people face. Many of you have faced those times. I've been with you through many of those times. When the hurt is so overwhelming, you can't even put one foot in front of the other, much less a thought. And it's because we believe in the power of prayer that we offer prayer. It's a great illustration from where that that saying comes from that let me pray for you. I learned this from a professor at Duke Divinity School, and I'm not sure where he got the information, but it it paints a wonderful picture. He, He said to me, do you know why we pray for people? I was like, I thought I knew the answer to that. But he said, we, we do that in people's greatest times of needs, need because they cannot do it for themselves. And we say, let me pray for you while you hurt. While you cannot do it for yourself, I want to stand with you. That is beautiful to me. But add to that, add to that, clergy, lay ministers, you, all of us, can also be present in the midst of pain and provide a stabilizing spiritual support for those in need. That's where people are. They're hurting and crying out, not for your thoughts and prayers, but for your presence. It's something I'm definitely passionate about. Many of you are gifted to be present with people, but want to feel a little bit more capable. You don't want to walk into a situation and just freeze because many of us are not gifted in that area. And you'd say, I would rather hug a porcupine than you put me with somebody who's crying. Not your calling. Not a big deal. But God challenges us to be in in, in the, the toughest places with people if we know Christ we have something to offer we have something eternal to offer that doesn't take the place of grief it doesn't fill the void and say let me just pray for you you'll be okay I know you just you just lost a child but it'll be okay let me just pray for you and I'm going to get out that's not what this team is about this team is going to be about being present with a person in a crisis And you're going to have to ask us to leave because we're going to stick with you. And maybe that's something you feel compelled to do. Maybe that's something you feel called to do. And in January, we're going to do, it's going to be a two-day training. It's an investment. It's a 16-hour training. We're going to ask if anybody wants to be a part of this to to do that. Email me, call the church, just if if you have some some thoughts about it and want to be a part of it. Many from Nine have already um, said that they want to be a part of this team. Because this is what I know. To be present with people on their worst day, they'll never forget it. Fail to be present with people on their first day, and they will never forget it. And here's here's the deal. We miss a lot of things as a staff because there's 17 of us versus about 2,000. All, all said and done. That's a little overwhelming. But for us to have the expectation that we can meet all the needs of our, not only Connection Church, but our community, goes against Scripture. 
for the people of God to put that expectation on, on the professional Christian also goes against Scripture. I think it's so much more exciting for us to go, huh, let's do this together, right? What an awesome, awesome opportunity God gives us to step into these times with people, to look for opportunities, and maybe that's not your thing. And that's, that's fine. It's just a practical example. But we are all called, if we know Christ, we are called to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It may be at a restaurant this afternoon. It may be at your own dinner table at home this afternoon. It may be getting out of our parking lot this afternoon. That we show the love of Christ because we're offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. See that in, in your mind. Envision that with your thoughts each and every day. If I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice, it's hard for me to be a jerk. So I really want to challenge you as we leave this place today to really make that investment, to get into the Word, listen to what God is telling you. It's pretty simple. I know what he's telling me. I could guess what he's telling you according to where he wants you to be that living sacrifice because it's everywhere. Let's stand together and be dismissed this morning. God, we are thankful for the morning. We're thankful, God, for, for what you have done for each one of us. God, I'm thankful for your word and how clear it is of who you want us to be. That you laid down the story and it's been passed down from you making sacrifices and then ultimately through your son Jesus Christ. And you don't give it to us as a burden to be living sacrifices among your people and the people that you want to redeem. It's a privilege. It's a privilege and an honor and God, help us as we pursue our faith to, to take those hesitations, those fears away from us. That we jump on those opportunities to be that living sacrifice to people. So God, we thank you. We love you. And we pray that throughout this week, and as we pray, prepare for Christmas, that it's a wonderful time with those around us. We thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, have a good week. Merry Christmas.